Okay, welcome to episode 11 now of the Climate Vanguard podcast. This is a podcast series that tracks the progress made in setting up Climate Vanguard, a radical youth-led research institute that illuminates the systemic drivers of environmental breakdown and advances the radical research needed to arrest climate and ecological collapse. We cover our ups and downs, our successes and failure. You hear it all. It should be noted that we publish every other Wednesday. For the last three weeks now, I think, we've been talking about policy and the type of content that we'll be producing. But on this week's episode, we're going to be returning to some of the sort of original style content that we intended for this podcast, where Noah and I break down some of the updates that have been going on with Climate Vanguard and how we're feeling about the progress made. How are you feeling today, Jack? I'm feeling pretty good. It's nice and sunny here in London. Strangely warm. Strangely uh, warm. Strangely warm. Indeed. But I'm feeling pretty good. We've been pretty busy as of late with Climate Vanguard. Fair. Things yeah. are coming in well, thick and fast. It's all coming together. It's coming to a head as we approach our launch in the spring. I personally was in an academic emergency for quite a while. Yeah. So I had to take a brief hiatus from Climate Vanguard as I was banging out some essays. And, you know, it broke my heart a bit, but... Jack was the anchor that kept us grounded. Actually, that's an interesting thing to talk about. I think that in setting up Climate Vanguard as we've been on this sort of journey or process, I think it's been so helpful to have a co-founder and be two people working on it. And I think in that moment, you realize the value of that and how important that is. And there have been times where I've wondered, will I go back to university at some point, do a master's degree in like mm. a year or two years time and I could still be doing Climate Vanguard on the side, but it just doesn't work. Like you can't be doing something else and doing Climate Vanguard. You cannot be setting up an organization part-time. You just can't do it. Well, I guess yeah. I'm doing it. Yeah, you know you are, <laughs> but uh, I'm saying that... It's not ideal. That, 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 that period of time when you're in an academic emergency yeah. show that the progress of the organization is limited when one person is yeah. very tangled up in something else. And you've done an incredible job of managing like your master's and this, but it was just sort of an indication of how important it is for us to be committed to doing Climate Vanguard as we move forward. Yeah, such a good point. And I think actually we make the most amount of progress when we're sitting at the same table mm-hmm. and just asking each other questions, yeah. feedback. Yeah. Even when we're not in the same space, like it really delays it. For sure. And it provides some roadblocks. But I think I started doing my master's not with the impression that I'd start a youth-led research institute. It just kind of happened. And it's not to say also that there isn't synergy between my master's, which is a master of public administration and innovation, public policy, and public value. It's a huge mouthful. Basically looking at how we can forge a new political economy that is more equitable, especially between the private and public sector. There's a lot of synergy between what I'm doing and my work with Climate Vanguard, and I've been able to make a lot of connections that can facilitate the establishment of Climate Vanguard, but it's super difficult splitting both. And I find myself being more inclined to do Climate Vanguard work because it just doesn't even feel like work. Yeah. I just love doing it. Yeah, yeah. I think also something interesting is like, you know, like if this becomes our full-time profession, we've, we are able to secure funding, we have a team of employees that we actually pay. Perhaps we even have like an office space. Like, what does our day to day look like? Because, you know, other jobs are set hours, like, oh, you work nine to five. Sure. But we like work on it all the time. Yeah. And I think that's one of the kind of strange things that I'm realizing about 
being self-employed by being the person who sets your own hours you always feel like you could be doing more and i think that's mm. definitely something that can be challenging probably moving forward is i can imagine that as climate vanguard continues to pick up steam as it's doing that it becomes difficult to take time away because really you are the master of your own hours of setting mm. your own hours and we're so passionate about this work and love to do it but at some point, I think it can become challenging to recognize, okay, I need to take a break. I need to take a step away. For sure. For a period of time. Because, I mean, we eat dinner and then we're like, okay, what should we do? Should <laughs> we go out for a beer? Should we go see some friends? Should we watch a movie? Or we could just bash out some climate vanguard work. So we usually And do. it's partly driven, mostly driven by our passion for the work, but also driven by this feeling that we have this project that we want to drive forward so much. And if we are taking time off, then we're not driving the project forward. It's an incredibly corrosive mentality though. And I blame society for that. Yeah. Like, it's not healthy to be focusing on your work 100% of the time. Like we don't even question taking weekends off. Yeah. It's not even a question. Yeah, we yeah. just work on weekends. Yeah. You know, yeah. we don't say, oh, we're not going to schedule anything on Sunday because it's Sunday. Maybe we should relax, go outside, have a beer, yeah. play some tennis. I do think there's a slight nuance, though, is because our work, I mean, we're trying to change the system, if yeah. you will. We're trying to drive forward the most meaningful cause there is, which is to tackle climate and ecological breakdown. Yeah. So there's a sense of urgency that drives us. Yeah, I think that's a good point, that, that sort of point of nuance, that we really feel like we're on the clock in very real ways because of the nature of our work, because of the issue area that we work within. And so I, and I feel that even outside of Climate Vanguard, work you know even if i wasn't doing climate vanguard i would feel on the clock in very important yeah. ways in terms of what i'm learning about the climate crisis i think there also is something to be said though about being prefigurative in your own work so the world you're trying to build influences how you go about your daily life mm. and what we talk about a lot is not having your job be your main profession having the time off to explore other passions to have a genuine work-life balance yeah. not the one that is co-opted by neoliberal capitalism yeah but it's difficult to get that through our heads, you know, that you can, you're so socially engineered to operate in a certain way, like especially when you try and dismantle these current systems, yeah. right? So we're using some of the uh, ways of being that have been created by these systems to try to take them down. But it's really interesting to start to explore. Are there prefigured ways of working that actually allow us to be more impactful? And I think we're quite intentional about that at Climate Vanguard. In fact, we've developed what we call a Climate Vanguard Agreement, which is a sort of agreement that all the people that volunteer with us and eventually will be employed by Climate Vanguard sort of agree to this common set of working values. And many of the values, in fact, are very prefigurative. And then those are very important to us. So yeah. I think we're trying. We're trying. We're exploring that space for sure. While in the moment we feel so driven to do Climate Vanguard work and to throw ourselves into activism, like we do have to be super conscious of burnout because it's a real thing. And I don't feel myself being burned out at all. I feel like so motivated, but it can happen and kind of catch you unprepared. You hear it all the time. In I mean, it's like a severe well. all the time. It happens response. To people. I mean, it's like endemic. It just happens, like especially with climate, because you're dealing with such morbid stuff all the time. And yeah. I, I think I've felt that more lately is intense frustration and maybe almost treading into ego anxiety. And you, I, I find myself sometimes very rarely just having to shut off from climate. Like, yeah. I, I need to watch something or like get my mind off it. Because I think like you, I think about it like 
all the time. Yeah. I go to bed thinking about it. I wake up thinking about it. I go about my day doing stuff that is related to the environment and to the climate action space. It is basically the North Star of my entire being. Yeah. Which I think it has to be for a lot of people if we're actually to solve this crisis. For sure. But it's it, it's an incredible weight. Yeah. And again, we're the lucky ones, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're white men in living a nice in, London apartment. Yeah, living in, insula- in an insulated society by and large. We're not on the front lines of climate breakdown. Or just oppressed in other ways. Sure. People who have to work two jobs just to put food on the table. Sure. Sure. But I think oppression from within the system manifests itself in, in different ways. I even think that this might be sound controversial, but I think even rich people are oppressed in some way. It's, it's a very small little violin and a tear <laughs> rolling down my face, but like the idea of what it is to be wealthy, about what the good life is, about constant competition, even in millionaire and billionaire circles. Like these people sure. aren't happy either under the system. Sure. But of course, they're the custodians that drive it forward. Well, do, we, do you think you agree in general? I do definitely agree. Yeah. I mean, these people are beholden to a system. Like they are beholden to a system. As much as they're shapers of the system, they're also very much wed to it's the system. It's an interesting debate, yeah. I, I, What's the line between them being the protagonist? Uh, I'm not. They have the agency to change the world. They have incredible power. But you think they're still kind of stuck in the web of? For sure, exactly. certainly mentally. It's mentally, yeah. For sure. Um, I think they probably have convinced themselves so much that what they have is the good life. Yeah. That they wouldn't go about changing it. Yeah. I mean, it's also like we don't want the benign billionaire. Like we oh. don't want that. We we want the people to rise up yeah. and make these changes. So I think turning to some more specific updates now that we've introduced how we're feeling that was nice Uh, pulling back the curtain connecting to something you said earlier noah about your master's program providing interesting connection and resources and support for climate vanguard one of probably the biggest forms of support that's come out of your master's program as it relates to climate vanguard is the ucl hatchery Um, So the Hatchery is an incubation program that is coordinated by UCL, University College London, which is where Noah is doing his master's degree right now. And they run two cohorts every year of startups that are connected to the UCL ecosystem in some way. Often it's ex-students who have applied to be part of it. And we applied and got into this year's spring cohort. And it's been really exciting. We've learned a lot about more sort of practical nitty gritty aspects of building a startup, whether it's startup law or marketing or accounting or developing contracts, how to hire people, how to manage people. So really interesting information that we certainly didn't have before. We don't come from business backgrounds. Throughout the month month of March, we've had guest lecturers, if you will, come in and provide some mentorship. And part of the package that the hatchery provides is two years of office space as well. So that's really cool. We have an actual office space for Climate Vanguard now in King's Cross, which is a very centrally located area of London where we are able to go and work. So we're not only working in our living room. And that's really exciting. (laughs) That's really exciting. I think the hatchery has been great in so many different ways. I think probably the chief or primary way is that it has forced us to think of Climate Vanguard in a different way and actually really mature as a full-fledged organization. Like you were saying, Jack, that would eventually hire people that would actually have stable finance, that would have to figure out contracts, intellectual property rights, nitty-gritty skills that you don't learn in the everyday. So I think it's really they've really helped us incubate, for lack of a better word, and become more of a 
professional organization. So I think it's been great. And it's also been great to meet other people, other startups, other businesses who are taking part in the same program and see what they're about. Yeah. So overall, I think we really have incredibly positive things to say about the experience where we feel very lucky to be part of this group and be part of this program. That being said, there are some challenges. I think we're not the most natural fit because a lot of the businesses that get in have to do with, you know, they're trying to market a certain product, they're a traditional startup, whereas we are a youth-led research institute. We're, we're going to rely on grants and perhaps crowdfunding. So we're a bit of a unconventional fit, not to mention that we tend to reject everything to do with the corporate way of life. Yeah. But I think it does challenge us in a certain way. And it's really helpful to adapt the lessons that we learn and see how that can work with Climate Vanguard. Yeah, I think that, well, first of all, I'd say it's encouraging that we were accepted to the program. That was exciting, especially given that we are quite unconventional. Post-capitalist startup. Yeah, we're a post-capitalist startup. So quite unconventional relative to the other members of the cohort and pretty much all of the startups that they have had in their program in the past, it seems, from what we can tell. So that is, to a degree, encouraging, but also, as Noah mentioned, there are very real challenges to that. I mean, trying to adapt some of the content that is taught to make sense in our context. How are we adapting some of the like hyper-focus on sales and growth? And there's a lot of work on our behalf to try to adapt it to make sense for Climate Vanguard. And I think that this is sort of indicative of something we're kind of experiencing more and more. Because of the type of work that we're doing, we're running into some challenges and there's some roadblocks and it requires extra work on our behalf to make this work. And I think that was quite apparent in another update of ours, which is that we officially registered. Woohoo! Woohoo! We officially We're registered as a registered. community interested company, which is a form of nonprofit here in the UK. It was an arduous process. It was quite a journey. <laughs> we actually had to apply three times because our first two applications were rejected based on the fact that we came off as overly political, I suppose, because of our use of the word activist in our application as we described the work that we do. And so through some trial and error, it was eventually accepted. And I just think it's sort of indicative of like the struggle that we are facing of trying to build an organization within our current systems, within our current framework, but build an organization which is fundamentally fighting for completely different systems in a completely different world. And there is there are huge tensions there. Yeah, We are already running into roadblocks based on even some of the language that we use, whether it's post-capitalist, or radical, or apparently in the case of registering to be a nonprofit in the UK, the word activist, which was a pretty surprising one to us, I think. Yeah. We did not assume in any way that the word activist would be misconstrued to be something threatening, but it was. And I think that's just sort of some indication of the challenges that we're facing. Yeah, Jack, I think like you're saying, it's a real challenge because... There's a super fine line between being co-opted by a system and engaging it in a very subtle, tactical manner in order to advance your cause. And I think we're going to straddle that line from the majority of our work until we actually win the world that we advocate for. Another update is that we're applying for a few grants, which is really exciting. So one, I think we've got a pretty good shot at, and another could be more of a long shot but we're feeling confident i think applying for any grant is such a great practice for us because we can begin exercising these skills of talking about climate vanguard advocating for describing what we use the money for so i think 
any grant really is a great opportunity for us to learn a lot. But it's exciting to even think about us actually being funded. Yeah, it's super exciting for us to start to imagine what doors that opens up for us in terms of what other team members we can bring on board, who we can bring on as kind of freelance writers in certain circumstances, what type of projects we can start to undertake. Because we're also, as we approach our launch, we are starting to imagine what our pilot projects will be, and they require money. And so it's really exciting to start to imagine that those could come to life. I think we'd be successful with some of these grants. And I think that it also, the grant, yeah. the, app, the process of grant application has been really helpful in getting more constructive and specific about our work and the type of work that we do. Because in the grant application, we have to describe very clearly what type of work we're doing, what type of impact our work will have, and how we can actually try to measure gauge our impact in some way. For sure. And so that's been really helpful and forced us to think through these steps. I was just going to say also that I think we've built such an amazing foundation and scaffolding of Climate Vanguard, this really robust structure. And now we need to pour the foundation with some cash Yeah, and, and actually build it. It's a great metaphor. I think once we actually have money, the sky's the limit. Because we've been so deliberate about our strategy, the way we discuss and talk about Climate Vanguard, what type of work we want to do. And now we're just limited really by not having the money to sustain ourselves mm-hmm. and doing this work. So I think as soon as we get some money and get the ball rolling, just going to be really exciting. I can't even imagine what it will be like because we've been operating on like <laughs> a literal non-existent budget, which constrains everything we do. Like we don't even think about certain things. Like we don't have the money to do that. Yeah. And once we do have the money, we can actually start envisioning alternative pathways to achieve our work and to stretch ourselves in different directions are there some things you're imagining that getting money would open up our minds to think about well i'm thinking for example this mapping mindset survey sure. so jack and i one of our first projects is that we want to kind of survey the youth climate activist scene to understand views on the necessary political economic shifts that have to happen in the short term in order to address the climate and ecological crisis this would provide a really great foundation that informs our own work about the types of transformations that we are advocating for, but it would also help facilitate our ability to become a convening body to get a lot of these youth climate champions into one room or into a virtual room and to start actually discussing how do we talk about these changes? How do we build a common vocabulary? And in order to build a vision of the future and discipline, discipline across the movement, weave a common story, which is sick. But I think, again, we're limited there. We need to pay people for their intellectual labor. And also, what does convening look like? We haven't even imagined, like, can we get yeah. a space in London and, like, get some people in here? Yeah. Or how do we run workshops where we could perhaps meet with some climate activists and begin envisioning the future together, like, outside of, you know, formal convening, just having that as a, a constant type of element of our work? Yeah. I think that's one of the most exciting and probably underdeveloped facets of the work that we could be doing that we kind of have a vision of what that could look like, but it's not become very specific. But actually, a kind of much more minor update, Noah and I recently had the opportunity to give a presentation in front of a master's class at IMD, a business and management school in Switzerland. And it was the first opportunity that we've had to really publicly give a presentation on the name of Climate Vanguard. At the end of our presentation, we had a period of time where we had an exercise that we wanted to do with them. It was kind of a prelude to the type of events that we could be running. Yeah. 
on our great. on our own. So that was kind of an exciting way to sort of start to imagine what convening looks like for us. I think that that about wraps up this episode of Climate Vanguard updates. We will see you guys in two weeks' time for the next episode of the Climate Vanguard podcast. And just a note, the next episode is not one to miss. So strap in, get ready. <laughs>